0: 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning. This is our third lesson of, a, uh, lesson of three in our series. We are finishing off just a little brief study on Samuel. He is a very interesting character. If you remember, he was both prophet, priest, and uh, judge in Israel, all at the same time. And so we are going through th- his life and his story. Um, <clears throat> how many of you uh, know what this is? Well, well, I put it up there. <laughs> you can read, right? Black ice. What do you think of when you think of black ice? Sliding. Sliding, yes. What else? What does what black ice, what, what does it do to us? What is it? It's unexpected. We don't see it happening. Is that true? Black ice, it's like, blend, blends in. If you don't have a handout, would you raise your hand, please? Heath will get you one of those as well. Um, we're petrified of it because we can't see what it is and if we don't know it's there we can't prepare for its coming and all of a sudden we're on and then our cars are sliding or we're slipping and falling down and um, we only realize it after we after we experience the results of it and that's usually some type of of pain so our mind tells us everything is normal but all of a sudden, we're feeling this sensation of slipping and sliding, and it's smooth sailing until we hit this little patch of ice, and then boom, everything changes. And it's treacherous for us, we don't like it, but you're down for the count. The, 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 the most treacherous thing about it is it's, it blindsides us, we don't, we don't see it coming. And this morning's lesson, not the whole lesson, but part of the lesson is about a blind spot in Samuel's life last week we talked about how Samuel was a godly man and he is a godly man and yet even the most godly of us can have a little kink in our armor and so Samuel had that and it, and it um, uh, it's listed for us here in scripture but also Samuel was still a godly man and so it's an encouragement to us to know that even those of us who walk with God but sometimes might have this Blind spot, we slip when we weren't aware of something in our lives. We can still have an effective life and service for God. And so that's what we're going to talk about. You see, this morning, it's Samuel's kink and Israel's king. Today, in in chapter 8, he's going to anoint or or told told by God to anoint uh, Saul as the first king over Israel. And so uh, we need to look at that this morning. So, blind spots. You know, my wife has twenty-twenty 20 vision about my blind spots. Did you know that? How about your wife, guys? 20-20 vision. 20-20. She has perfect vision about my blind spots. In fact, I have so many blind spots, I'm not sure I can see at all. <laughs> it's like that. And so uh, I don't like blind spots. They're deceiving. And uh, we think everything's okay, but uh, something is awry and amiss. We've got to get it worked out. And so you can put down, I only left a space for three blind spots for you. You can write in there what yours is. Or one, two, or three, or maybe more. But we don't like them. We want to get them out of our lives. And so in this study this morning, we're going to look at that. 1 Samuel, chapter 8. Chapter 7, we go from Samuel was just a young man, the Bible talked about, where he. we see Samuel now in chapter 8 as an old man. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old. A lot happened between chapter 7 and chapter 8. He had a great deliverance in chapter 7 and led the people of Israel. And in chapter 8, now it says he's old. And so it's not necessarily chronological, but God is going to ask him to do something. So, and that is to anoint a king. So he spent his life during this time as a circuit-riding judge, traveling from where he lived in Ramah to Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. And so here's the map. I don't know if you can see that from back there. It might be a little bit too small but there's a there's a sort of a circular route going on. He started. He lived in Ramah right above where you see Benjamin there. If you can read that, you probably I don't know if you can read that or not. I was hoping it appeared bigger, but let's see if I can even adjust it. That's better. Maybe that helps a little bit. There's Ramah right below that bottom arrow, and he went to Mizpah to the left, up to Bethel, and over to Gilgal, and made that circuit. He was a circuit riding judge. Look at one Samuel chapter seven. In verse 15, it says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went out from year to year in circuit to Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah where there was his house. And there he judged Israel and there he built an altar unto the Lord. And so that's what he did. He was a circuit riding judge. He was all in for God in judging the people because he was the only judge. He was the last judge and the only prophet and and priest at that time. He took over for Israel, but his sons are going to become priests after him. And so let's look at the life of Samuel here as we sort of conclude this little brief study on his life. First of all, the corruption of Samuel's sons. Chapter 8 and verse 1, And it came to pass, again, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And so we see first of all, guys, that they didn't learn their wicked practices due to a poor example from Samuel. Samuel was a righteous man. His sons, the Bible says in verse 3, walked not in his ways. They went their own way. So class, I just want to encourage us this morning. Can godly people have rebellious children? Yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Godly people who are walking with God can have rebellious children. And sometimes that can happen and it breaks our hearts. Now, we always have to do a self-assessment in our own lives to say, as a parent, are we walking with Christ? Are we in the Word? Are we loving our family? Are we loving our spouses? Are we being a good godly example? Are we staying faithful to the local church and in the Word and doing, practicing the truth of the Word of God? But after doing all that, they can still have other outside influences that lead them down a different path. And that's sort of what was going on with, with Samuel. Yet he still had a kink in the armor, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And so, what was, their, what was their corruption? Well, number one there in your notes, they walked not in the ways of Samuel. We clearly see that. Samuel stayed right with God, but they chose to go off and do other things. What did they do? Well, they were, they were money hungry. It says in verse 3, they turned aside after filthy lucre. That's money. They became money hungry, and it says they took bribes. Remember, Eli had the same problem with his kids. Hophni and Phinehas, they were wicked men and God would destroy them because they corrupted the the priesthood. And, And here comes Samuel's sons sort of doing the same thing corrupting themselves and, and, and wanting bribes and saying, Look, I'm doing this for money. I want to get rich. And we see hucksters in the ministry today, don't we? They, they want to get rich off of God's people. That's what was going on. Nothing new under the sun. That's what was going on way back here, you know, thousands of years ago. They were taking bribes. And then third, uh, they perverted judgment or justice. That's what it says there in verse 3. They took bribes and they perverted judgment. That would be justice, They didn't do right. They wanted to do their own thing. There in your notes, I think I put a couple of verses. Look at Proverbs 17, 23 from your notes. A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom, that's a bribe, to pervert the ways of judgment. Look, I'll look the other way. You just give me this. Instead of doing the right thing, I'll look the other way. You give me money, and you go ahead and we'll we'll rule another way. And bribery perverts the right ways of God. And that's exactly what... Samuel's sons were doing here. They were perverting justice. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says this Thou shalt not rest judgment or pervert justice. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. And so, resting judgment means perverting just, justice. And that's, again, another place the Scriptures tell us taking a gift and blinding the eyes is a wicked thing to do, and it's money, money-driven, and it's a false god. And that can even happen in the ministry, and it happens, you know, a lot of these TV evangelists, these televangelists, that's exactly what they're doing, aren't they? They're bilking people out of money to make themselves fat and rich, and that's what Eli's sons were doing, making themselves fat and rich off the offerings and off the people, and and now Samuel's sons are sort of going down that same path. But I want you to see Samuel's testimony through all of this, that he didn't do the same thing. Now turn over to chapter 12 just for a moment. We're going to come right back to chapter 8, but look at chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 lets us in a little bit more on Samuel's life and his godliness. Samuel chapter twelve, first Samuel twelve, verse one. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you said unto me, and have made a king over you. This is just after he anoints Saul as king over Israel, against his best judgment, and against what you know what he, he thought was right, but God said, Give him a king. We'll see that here in just a little bit. Verse two And now behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and grey headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. We remember Samuel was dedicated and consecrated in the temple at three years of age. Early on, because God opened his mother Hannah's womb and gave her a son, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And so from from an infant, he was dedicated to the Lord. Verse 3, Behold, here am I, witness against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whom, whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my eyes therewith? And I will restore it. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness." Samuel, because he knows how his sons are becoming as he's old, is saying, look, I want to just remind everybody, if, if you have anything against me, if you think that I've done anything wrong as a priest, that I've violated the priesthood or I've cheated you out of anything, just let me know now. Is there anything you can think of? And they all say, no, no, there's nothing, nothing. You're, you're clean with us, Samuel. And so it was all good. So he was giving, having people give testimony to his his character of being an honest guy and an upright man. So they couldn't really blame him too much for his sons, but yet something made his sons go awry, go astray. And so let's keep studying studying the word. And so he was not a thief, he was not a conniver, he was not a bribe taker, He executed sound judgment all the days of his life and the respect of the people he had and had a superb testimony among all the childhood, from his childhood to old age. He was in many ways above reproach. And class, that's a good place to stop right now and say, in this stage of your life, would you say that your testimony of the people that know you best is one that is above reproach? When you fill in your name in the blank, would people say, Yeah, now there's a godly lady. There's a man who walks with God. His, his, his life is characteristic of, of, of someone who he portrays to be. His walk matches his talk, or her walk matches her talk. And, and that's what the people were, had said about Samuel. And yet the people were still concerned about his sons. And again, even the most godly people can have blind spots, and there are those patches of black ice in our life at times that can creep up on us. And so there are many godly people. In fact, class, help me out. Who are some godly people that still did have maybe a kink in their armor, maybe a little blind spot that they didn't see, because we read about some of the negative things in their life as well, but we know that they were godly people. Who can you think of in Scripture? Yeah, David's the one that comes to mind right off, right? He had a number of issues, of miscues and missteps, but yet he's still a man after God's own heart. Who else? Lot. Lot, yes. Righteous Lot, just Lot. From seeing and hearing day after day, it says in 2 Peter that he vexed his righteous soul. Yeah, that's a good one, Dave. Solomon, yes. Let his wives corrupt him. All, how many? 700 wives, 300 concubines, right? Let him corrupt his heart and turn his heart away from God. Was there someone over here who had their hand up? Yes.
1: King Saul.
0: Yeah, King Saul. That's coming. You know, we're not going to study it here in our time, but, but King Saul, he was anointed by God in Samuel, but yet he became consumed with envy and jealousy at David and made some very, very rash vows and poor decisions. Adrian?
1: Think about Peter in the New Testament, like yeah. side by side. No, I mean him. He didn't know Peter.
0: Yeah, he cursed and swore that he didn't even know him. Yeah. Yeah. The New Testament example as well, right? Peter? Yes, Pam. Would Abraham be a good example?
1: He had a little bit. Because when he went to Egypt, he had to like. He decided to tell the king that.
0: Sarah was his sister. So yeah, there's a kink there, right? He he lied about his sister Sarah to kind of save his neck, thinking that, you know, they, they're going to kill him because Sarah's so beautiful and they want to take her away from him. Yes. A little kink there, a little a little lie. Yes, sir. In the New Testament, that, that God had
1: uh, committed to uh, the seventh century a mother mother-in-law, or mother, step stepmother. step
0: on it. And let's say uh, would be saved, so is, uh, uh, Yes, 2 Corinthians him. chapter 5. Let Satan kill him, but in the day of redemption, well, yeah, it talks about him being delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Right. Yeah, that was probably a pretty big kink, don't you think? That was probably a pretty big one there. Yeah, that was a major a major gaffe in his life for sure. And we don't know much about his life if he was righteous before that, but that's certainly a, a powerful story in, in the New Testament. You know, we could go on and on. There's lots of them. You know, Moses, I'm slow of speech. Lord, I can't do it. Get somebody else. I want you, Moses. No, I can't. And had that, that kink in his armor a little bit. And, and many others we could, we could talk about. And so, none of us have it all together. Even Job, he was a righteous man. We just studied him. And Job had his, his issues of trying to proclaim his own righteousness. And God had to say, Job, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. As you know, we just got finished studying Job. And so, Samuel, he had a blind spot. What was his blind spot? Well, we read about it. Up in chapter 7. Up in chapter 7. Again, look at chapter 7, verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He's a godly man. In fact, he's so godly, he's busy. He's poured into the ministry. And it says, And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. Doesn't sound like there's really anything awry there because he's serving the Lord. But it must have been that the frequency of him being gone, traveling in this circuit-riding priesthood, that he was always away from his family. He's serving the Lord, but there might have been a little bit of out of balance in what he was doing. And so while he's never home, he's going from place to place to place to place, comes home for a little bit and goes off from place to place to place to place. He's in high demand. He's getting his kudos from all of those different places because he is a godly man. They're depending upon him. He's judging Israel. He's a priest, he's a prophet. He's got lots going on. And because he's so busy, man, he's out of the home. And so we know that he was not sinning while he was out of the home judging Israel, he was just out of the home. He was constantly away, and could it be then, the very next verses we read about, his sons? It says, I'm old, verse 1 of chapter 8. And I've made my sons judges over Israel, Joel and Abiah. And then it talks about how they were. Maybe dad wasn't there enough to look in on what was going on in their lives. And so there was Samuel's blind spot. There was his kink. Number one, he failed to learn from Eli's example with his children. Eli allowed his sons to do anything they wanted to do. With Samuel, maybe it wasn't a willful just allowing that, but he was just away and couldn't control it. And yet he was a servant of the Lord. And and that resonates with me as a pastor here because the last thing I want is my children to be in rebellion against God. Because that can affect the church. And so yet I know that in their growing up years too, there's demands in the ministry with counseling and teaching and preaching and and visitation and running ministries and overseeing this and having all the activities. Think about the activities that we have in the church. We pastors pretty much are here a lot at all those activities, funerals and weddings and marriages and and out, outdoor activities and, and, and uh, outreaches and, uh, you know, all the stuff. We're, we're at all those things. And so if we're not careful, it's important that we balance our time. So I can appreciate the, the challenge that Samuel had. And it's easy to just sort of let that take over because it's not like we're rebelling against God and sinning. We're doing the work of the ministry. And yet that can, that can happen. And so there's always a, a balance that we have to look at. And, fellas, for you, whether it be, and, and, and ladies as well, as moms, if we're so busy out doing our extracurricular activities or even the necessities of life, work, and taking care of you know finances and so on and so forth, Be careful. Make sure that you're not neglecting the home and the children and their influence that you can have in a godly way. Yeah, Jeff.
1: stand up to, to Eli's sons and to Samuel's sons and say, no. We're not going to allow you to bribe us. We're not allowed You know, <clears throat> why should we take a bribe from you? Why should we encourage you to do wrong? Where was the secondary encouragement from the people of Israel to the sons?
0: To stand up Fair point. Fair point. It could be. Yet at the same time, if he made a circuit riding, how often was the circuit? We're not told, but it must have been a gap long enough between that that riffraff could go on between his visits. And so while he's there, they straighten up, but they say, "Oh, he's not coming back for three, four months," and so things kind of fall away. Could have. And he has to come back and, oh, yeah, yeah, we gotta, we got to do this, we got to do this. But they already had in their heart sort of a, a little bit of a corruption or a little bit of a, of a lukewarmness in their spirit because it wasn't a regular practice in their heart. We, that's speculation. We don't know for sure. But that can easily happen with any of us. If we miss, um, we're just talking about ha- being away from, from church, Folks, it's easy, isn't it? If, you, if we miss one week of church, we feel. If we miss a second week of church, we say, wow, man, I miss being at church a little bit. But somehow people, they, they can miss church three, four, five weeks, a month, two months, three months, and then the norm sets in where it's just more normal not to go, to not attend, to not be a part. And I'm not talking about you guys. You're here. But, but it happens so easily, and now we just sort of drift away, and the devil loves that. He just wants us to drift and not be fervent. And then coming back, is almost like, well, we're the outside. I don't feel connected as I used to feel at church because all these people seem to be so close, but here I am. I used to be close, but I've, I've drifted away. I've come back, and I feel sort of out of place. And that, that the devil can use as well to say, ah, you know, that's not comfortable to me anymore to be so close and, and so on. And, and there can just be a drift that takes place. And so the warning even over the summer months is stay fervent. Stay close to God. Stay close to His people. Stay in the Word. Stay in fellowship with God's people. Keep coming to the ABF hour. Even though it's not here, we still have ABF hour at 9 o'clock and 10.30. And so stay after. Don't let the devil deceive us by becoming just complacent when we're not having our regular meetings like our standard thing most of the year here at 9 o'clock. And so... He failed to learn from Levi, Levi's sons could be one thing. Second, Samuel put his work ahead of his family. And maybe again, as I mentioned, he didn't spend enough time at home. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us from the Old Testament stories it says that they are written, the Old Testament stories were written for our admonition and for our help that we're examples for us that we don't do the same things. And so it's good of God to put these little tidbits in our in our day to day lives and teaching to help us not go the same direction. We can learn from Old Testament Israel's mistakes. And so it can easily happen to any of us. And so, class, why do godly people have rebellious children? Why do people godly people have rebellious children? Give me some thoughts there. Why do kids rebel from godly homes? Yes, sir. What's that? Okay, dad in blatant sin. So dad's doing it. This is what we do. Okay, yes, Leah? Okay, no relationship between the dad and the child. A parenting father-son issue, yes. Lisa? So just the devil, he's, he's not wanting any family to successfully have a godly family. That's a, a fair point, Bonnie. A resentment from the ministry because it took their dad away A resentment from the ministry. Wow, maybe these kids were resentful. Dad's always gone. Well, we're just going to forget God and do our thing. God takes our dad away from us. Why do we have to be faithful? Very true. Very possible. Dave. Oh, the too, much too much pressure on the kids to be perfect. To keep up with the, the Joneses. To keep up with the Wendells, the Aylstocks, the Coltons, you know, everybody else, right? <laughs> not the Eiferts, we're out of the list on that. <laughs> we're out of the list. Yes, Carol? <coughs> Hypocrisy. 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 Shake your head yes or no, that's a good one. There, huh? Yeah, that's real. That's really real. Yes?
1: Well, generational curses, like if you're not saved... You know, and you have. If now all of a sudden that your father has lived for many years as a godly man who's saved, but maybe he struggled with fleshly things like alcohol or you know drugs. If that child,
0: through that generation, with those, is that would that be what it is like? Like a sin. The sins of the fathers passed down to the second and third generation, like the scriptures talk about. Yep, that that very well could be the the sort of the family curse passed down. Well, grandfather did it, father did it, son did it, grandson does it. You know, it's just a a, a family history of doing that type of behavior. Yes, ma'am. Um, if the house is divided. Like you have a, a strong, um, like a very dominant, dominant one side correcting all the time. Mm-hmm. The Le- didn't lenient. Mean she didn't mean to be so rough with you and go ahead you can go to your friend's house or whatever.: Yes. You know, the rules, you're, you're not family um, unified. unified. Yes. Divided, divided in their approach to parenting and how what they say is right and wrong, and the parents are divided on that. One's too lenient, making up for the dominance of the other. And like you quoted, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? That is so true, Yes, sir.
1: A good Christian family, but being a long time involved in youth and young adults now they're ministry. Christian kids sometimes don't believe or they underestimate the power of
0: sin. They just underestimate. He said kids underestimate the power of sin. So they dabble in it, and pretty soon they're just headlong bathed in it. And they get trapped in it, innocently maybe toying with it a little bit, but then they get caught in the snare of the devil. That can easily happen. Tom, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I mean, but we have, you know, our family, we have kids too, and, uh, we had two that went to college. Was a, it wasn't a Christian school.
1: But uh, one got involved with those that were unsaved, and that's where they spent most of their time. The other one spent time with the Christian group. And you can see the difference in you know, <coughs> the influence yeah. of, of, from outside. <coughs>
0: How about the proverb? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So guard carefully who you allow to influence your children. And parents especially, we need to make sure that we're not being a poor influence on our children. We want to be godly, and yet we still have kinks in our armor. We're all human. Here's a couple more. Just uh, You guys said most of these, but number one on my list there is hypocrisy. Carol, you got, the, you got the prize there. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If we're hypocritical folks as parents, they're going to have a disdain because what's real? What's real? Is, is the going to church and praying and, and reading the Bible real? Or is it watching these, these filthy movies and having language and fighting in the home? Is that real? What, what's the real? What's the real deal? And so hypocrisy will confuse the child. And so now they're just going to be like, man, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. Number two is marital disunity. When husband and wife aren't getting along, parents sit back, and that's devastating, class. I see it so much in counseling, it's devastating, because they're just fighting and arguing, especially if they're supposed to be Christians and they're not getting along. They're saying, you know, I'm not buying into this Christianity stuff because my parents are supposedly Christians. They can't even get along. Why would I want that? And so it causes rebellion in the children. And then third would be uh, misguided priorities. And, and even though Samuel had a good priority to serve the Lord, maybe it was just a bit misguided because he spent so much time away. But we can do it, class, in our, in our work, in our hobbies, in our pleasurable, pleasurable activities, or other things that we just have apathy about God and let things slip a little bit. That can happen. And so misguided priorities and too rigid with rules. We're rules, rules, rules oriented and not relationship, love oriented. To want to teach and train our children in righteousness, not just because I said so, but because here's what God's Word teaches us. He wants us to have a a heart for Him and, and a walk with Him. And the principle behind why we do and don't do things is so critical that we teach our children that. And not be just rigid about rules and dominate over our kids and they don't buy into the rules because our our relationship with them wasn't strong enough to have them listen to what we wanted them to do. And then number five is emotional detachment. Just there's no love in our home. We're not close. We all do our own thing. We get home at night. We don't eat dinner together. We don't go do activities together. We all go play on our phone. We do this. Someone's playing games. The other's on their phone. The other's watching TV. The other's out for a walk. They're at the gym. We're this and that. And we're not connected emotionally and so there's a detachment there and boy that's so easy that can happen the devil wants us to be doing that class it's a, it's a strong reminder to of us to be careful about that and then lack of time together just not being there and I think again that's what happened with Samuel with his kids just lack of time and so we see that can be real so, so maybe that's where Samuel was and that's why his kids went this way well the people of Israel see this and now they're like, no, Samuel, we don't want your kids to be priests over us. We had Eli's kids, and that didn't go so well. We want a king. And so they clamor for a king. They start to clamor out. Look what it says then in verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah, that's where he lived, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Tribute to Samuel. Samuel stayed righteous but sorrowful that his children didn't follow his lead. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want a king. We want someone else to rule over us. We want to be like Now they took their eyes off of God, off of Samuel as leader and said, "We want to be to look like the world around us." And so he was troubled by this because he took it as the people rejecting not only him, but God himself. Verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. He was hurt by that. Why do you want a king? God is our king. Is something wrong that I've done? Did I not take care of you guys enough spiritually and lead you that way? And, And sort of thinking about his own influence. But Samuel, in godly fashion, look what he does. the end of verse 6, it says, And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. i got to go to God, as a righteous man would do. And so he prays, he goes to the Lord. He did what was expected of a godly man. The historian Josephus writes this. Records state that Samuel could not eat or sleep, but spent all night in prayer to the Lord to know his mind and will, so that he might know how to answer the people. And God responds with reassurance to Samuel that it was not Samuel they were rejecting, but God himself. And so look at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken, or listen, unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, Samuel, it's not you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And so here's the issue class in your notes there. I I guess the answer for letter A was they used the corruption of Samuel's sons as an excuse. That was just an excuse. But in reality, they didn't want to obey God or God's laws, whom Samuel represented. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. It has been 400 years, Samuel, that my people after leaving Egypt when they were 350 years under the judges... And now these last 50 years, under Eli and now under Samuel, it's been 400 years and they still want to rebel against my leadership over them, God was saying. They had an obstinate heart. They wanted freedom and independence to do whatever they wanted and and less restraint. So much so that they would risk their children and their possessions to have their spiritual and personal independence. Now listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 118, 8 and 9. It says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to put confidence in the Lord than to put confidence in princes or in kings. There's another passage there in Psalm 146 that says the same type of thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean to your own understanding. That's Proverbs 3. But the point was that they wanted to put their confidence in a human being. That's what the other nations around were doing. And look at how, look at how they were surviving. So forget God. We can't see Him. He's not here. But a king, that'll, we'll rally around Him and that'll give us power and strength and we can be just like they are. Which would bring wickedness into their lives that they couldn't see. They were having a major blind spot. Not trusting God, but trusting in a human king. Is what Israel's blind spot was. Let us see. They wanted to be like the nations around them. Now look at verse 5. It says, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. That's what they were looking to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 class, God specifically told them that they were a holy people and that they were not to take foreign nations as their spouses. People of foreign nations not to intermarry with the wicked. They were not to worship their gods or adopt their standards of life. Having a king wasn't wrong in and of itself. In fact, it was predicted back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 where a king had specific guidelines. They were not to accumulate horses, not to accumulate gold, and they were to have the word of God right next to them that they could read it every day. God projected that there would be a king one day, but this was for the wrong reason. They wanted to be like the other nations around them and have their king look like this military leader and savior as opposed to God and so they wanted this ruler to take over God's place in their lives and so that's where they they had gone awry and so you see in your notes I put this in in bold for you God desired separation for his people they desired similarity among the people God wanted consecration and they wanted compromise. God wanted spiritual faithfulness of His people, and they wanted spiritual freedom. We want to do our own thing. Give us a king over us. And so you can see the similarities between the Jews in Samuel day, Samuel's day wanting that. And class, how about us in, in, the, in, in like our nation today? Are there similarities where Christians in churches... Sort of want our own thing and don't necessarily always want the stricter separation from the world. Is that true? That is true, isn't it? Yes, Jerry?
1: Correct our own problems, and we don't correct the church. Like I wanted to say earlier, that you were teaching it. I call this church the city of refuge. Amen. Okay, because I can send people here, and I know that you'll teach them the truth. But those churches—I went there for five years. It was and looked at what they were teaching. That word of faith isn't just on TV. It's what these men that I minister to—that's all they know. Yeah. They only know the things like naming and claiming. They only yep. really know those things. They don't have teachers and preachers like here. And the love of Christ is not there. Their preachers out there in that world are after money. And the, and the, when they come into prison and they and they like and they know and identify it, and I said i Go to the city of refuge. Even when I wasn't going here I sent i here. Yeah. B- because thank you. Those things are not taught. And in America, what you're teaching me
0: yeah that's right it's a sign of the times isn't it it's a sign of the times that there's a falling away in the churches and that's the point here in your notes there these bullet points under there number one is in churches what's the similarities well in churches music has replaced preaching of the word as the main focus of church services in many churches churches don't want to hear about sin and holiness they don't want to practice personal and ecclesiastical separation from the world and they don't fulfill the great commission they don't practice the primary message of christ to love god and love others and to share their faith with others and be evangelistic and to reach the world with the gospel many churches aren't doing that out there today and so we see that in our culture second in your notes in schools in our culture today we don't want god to reign over us in our schools Prayer has been removed. The Bible has been taken away. Creationism is not permitted to be taught in many places. All traces of Christ and Christianity, the Ten Commandments, have been obliterated or banned. No Christmas celebrations. You can't say Christmas in the school. And so the public school and the teachers, in a large part, have become Christophobes or afraid of the name of Jesus. In politics, third there in your notes in politics there's political correctness christians shouldn't be allowed to run for office have you heard that out there christians shouldn't be allowed to run for office a christian can't speak of christ or the bible or faith or judges in the public discourse because that would be judging and 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 you only have one way and we don't accept what you want and so just keep quiet and stay in your own little in your own little house so to speak and so this pro-life is hate speech to be pro-life, to not kill babies, that's hate speech because you're not giving a woman what she wants to choose. You must hate. And they've completely turned it around. And Ann was just telling me that Dennis Prager, a conservative you know, talk show host on the radio, they banned some of his, his um, teaching training videos that he has because they call it hate speech because of this very issue with Abortion and we're not allowed. he's teaching against abortion, and so they call it hate speech. So they take him off of Facebook and they take him off of social media. And that's, that's what's going on in our culture. And so how about in the family unit? Um, so often there's no respect for parents or authority, or parents are portrayed as idiots on movies and television and so many things. It's like they're not cool, they're not in the know disciplining children is child abuse and there's no faithfulness to marriage vows if you're not happy leave and no time for family meals together and communication together as a family or family activities it's with the group it's with the other uh, sports activities or social activities outside the family and then it's gaming at home or it's our our social media at home that just kind of splinters us apart And the preoccupation could be with health issues or education or social media and the acceptance of diversity that is paramount rather than unity that is paramount amongst our own family. And then in personal standards. So we got churches, we got schools, we got politics, we got the family unit. And then there you see in personal standards as well. And that's on and on. Music, dress, you know, culture, movies, what's entertaining, and so on and so forth. It's easy to compromise, and it's a slippery slope that we could slide down and not realize how quickly we're sliding class. And it can, a, it can be a blind spot for us. And so evaluate before you ever make a decision in your family. Evaluate, is this, is there anything biblically hindering this? Would there be any negative consequence that would happen if we choose this thing or this idea or this practice or, you know, where we're going to go, what we're going to do with our family? Evaluate. Would there be a negative consequence? You know what? Guys, we're not going to do that. We're not going to allow that in our homes because we have personal standards of righteousness. And so, you know, we need that for our own families well the third thing here let me keep going the the counsel of Samuel's God here's what God says they want a king okay Samuel give them a king but I want you to protest against them now look what it says in verse 9 now therefore hearken unto their voice howbeit yet protest solemnly against them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them Samuel tell them what the king is going to do if they have a king to reign over them and so first of all God says, listen to them. Nothing has changed their heart from the time of coming out of Egypt till now, 400 years plus. They don't want me to reign over them. So let's just give them what they want. And that's the second thing. Give them what they want to hear. You know, in Psalm 106, the Bible says, and God gave them their request when coming out of Egypt, but it then says, but they brought leanness to their souls. You know, class, sometimes the things that we ask for of God, He'll let us have, but they're not always good for us. Is that true? Yeah. We we can ask for things and God will let us have them, but it doesn't end up being best for us. And so we can have some of the things in our home that we allow you know, the world to come in, but it might not be best for us. And so you have to evaluate, God, is this is this cable best for us as our family or is it destroying our relationships you know is having these extracurricular activities best for us or do we need to cut back on some of those how about time spent with family do we need to be having dinner more frequently around the table and enjoying one another or is it okay that we're all going our different ways you know we evaluate those things and say what is best God gives us what we want. We have freedom to do so many things, but sometimes it's just not always best for us. And that's what God was saying about the children of Israel here. Oh, Okay, let them have it. But it's going to bring leanness to their souls. And so listen to them. Give them what they want. And so here's a life lesson. God will not bless what is contradictory to His word. Is that true, class? Yes, can I have a loud amen on that? Amen. <laughs> amen. If you have sensed a positive outcome from something that God's word is against, it is not God's blessing. Is that true? Amen. Rather, it will only be a matter of time before you realize the loving but firm correction from God. He's going to, whom the Lord loves you, and So he brings things into our life to get us back on track. And so that's a key thing for us to remember. And so examples of that. Many, many Israel prayed for meat in the wilderness. God gave them that, but they got sick. God let them have it. Give us meat. We want meat when they were in the wilderness. Balaam going with Balak. God said, don't go with Balaam. Balaam, don't go with Balak. Don't go. I don't want you to curse the people. Balaam came back and said, God, you want me to go because he really wants us to go. He really wants me to go. Don't go. Comes back the next day. Lord, can I go? He really asked. Okay, go. You can go. And as he went... God had to have his donkey stop and and get down and he starts spacking his donkey because he can't see that the angel of the Lord is right up in front of him with a a sword ready to take his head off if he keeps coming. And God had to spare his life from a talking donkey because had he continued God would have taken his life because he was persistent. I want to go. I'll, I'll get blessed. I'll get lots of riches. Lord, let me go. Okay, go. But if you go know that it's not going to be best for you. Israel wanted a king. It wasn't best for them. We can pray for a mate, a mate and meeting Mr. Wright. but if they're unsaved, we marry him anyhow. Can I tell you, I know stories of people who broke through that barrier and married unsaved because they thought it was right and it really was a heartache. Praising, praying for an easy way out of a marriage and divorcing in God's, from God's word and contrary to that, marrying someone else and they have even worse problems and so on, so many other things. God said, okay, look, Samuel, I want you to protest against them vigorously to their wishes so that they can be held without excuse in the day of judgment. So he protests. From verses 11 on through verse 19, here's what God says. Samuel, protest about this. Here's what their king is going to do if if they continue. He will take their sons and fight in their armies. He will have them work in their fields as laborers. He will take them... Uh, as manufacturers of his artillery and his chariots. He will take their daughters from them to be his cooks and his bakers and separate families from one another. He will confiscate their fields and possessions. He will make them tithe to him of all their bounty. He would take their best people and make them servants. He would um, take them their tithe from them and their livestock to feed his people in his court. The people will cry out in oppression, but God will not respond. They will be left to deal with the choices that they have made. Verse 18. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused, verse 19, to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like unto the nations, and that all kings may, all our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, He rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. And he gave them a king. What's the conclusion? The people refused to listen. They wanted to be like the other nations around them rather than be obedient to God. And God gave them their request. He gave them Saul. And what was Saul? We know now from hindsight that Saul was a failure as a king and he weakened Israel against their enemies. Class, what's the spiritual growth assignment for us here as we conclude? God is sovereign over His creation. He will allow us to have what we want at times and then teach us through the negative consequences of our ill-advised decisions. Therefore, think carefully and biblically about potential consequences of our decisions that we make and actions before we ever do them. This is exercising the wisdom of God. Before you make any crucial decision on so many things, seek the mind of God, the heart of God, the word of God, the other people of God who can help you in making those decisions And if there's roadblocks, roadblocks, stop. Don't just keep going. And let God speak to your spirit. That's wisdom in getting that information before you make an unwise decision. All right, that's Samuel. Lots of stuff there, right? Lots of good practical things we can get. Take that with you this summer. Walk with God. Love one another. Stay in church. Stay in His Word. We will see you in September. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful time together. Thank you for everyone in this class, the love that we can have for one another. Bless them. Give them a a wonderful time away and enjoying one another and their family. And might we come back together in September rejoicing and being able to have fellowship again with one another in our regular ABF meetings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.